Dear Julian, I have a confession. This morning I stood dazed at the bathroom sink, toothbrush in one hand, foam at the mouth, and with the thumb of the other hand, I scrolled ad infinitum on Twitter. I cannot tell you how much time I had stood paralyzed before the unending dissonances that is social media before I snapped back into my body. In the age of fragmented thought of everything all the time, Nietzsche's famous declaration that God is dead has taken on heightened relevance. The moral and meaning of our existence as Christian kids raised in the South, like you and I, is given to us by the concrete-minded evangelicals. If God is, as they claim, the alpha and omega of meaning, then what story fills the space at the moment of his apparent dissolution? How can we, as artists, make cohesion from chaos, weave meaning from the void? How can art cut through all the noise to create community, to bring cohesion around feeling everything and nothing at all? Best, Adia Victoria. Welcome to Call and Response from Sonos, the show about the communal spirit of music making and listening. I'm Adia Victoria. I am a musician, a poet, and a writer based in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a Black woman from the Deep South leaning into the blues to make sense of this world. Today on Call and Response, the artist Julian Baker. Now, like me, Julian is a Southerner who grew up in the evangelical church in the Deep South. She was born and raised in the suburbs of Memphis, Tennessee, and she came up in a religious family in a religious community. Now, the music of the South is always drawing upon the church. Either you are relishing in it or you are rebelling against it. I recently went down a little rabbit hole of one of my favorite country groups, the Leuven Brothers, and I landed on their 1959 record, Satan is Real. Yes, that's the title. Satan is real, working in spirit. You can see him and hear him in this world every day. And the entire album it sounds like it could have been written by a evangelical preacher, y'all. You can't easily separate the spiritual from the artistic impulse. Now, because the church and the culture of evangelicals is so foundational to the way that we draw meaning in our lives, it's how we relate to one another, to the land, to our environment. It is a totality of thought down here in the South. Listening to... Julian's new record, Little Oblivion, I was hearing a relationship to my latest record, A Southern Gothic. I hear two Southerners making a confession that maybe the ways that their faith was first introduced to them as children, it doesn't quite fit them anymore. That maybe their doubts or curiosities or humanity, it doesn't quite fit in that one-size-fit-all salvation. 
this week's playlist, I wanted to explore what a love that was wider and deeper and more inclusive could mean. How can you find salvation in dissolving the borders between you and the other and uh, believer, non-believer, saved and damned? How big could we grow our love? And so I was looking at artists who I admire who challenge me to read between the lines. I've got folks on here from Robin to St. Vincent to John Coltrane. These are artists that are pushing me to engage in the world around me to, I don't know, offer a bigger sensuality that's not just based on sex, but on my soul. And, you know, how can I become whole with how I relate to the world around me? How can art heal our fragmented self? Now, y'all can listen to that playlist over on mixcloud.com slash sonos. We'll also leave a link to it in the show notes. And now, my conversation with Julian Baker. Hey, Julian. Hello. Hi. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How are you? It's, it's so good to see your face and hear your voice. I'm well. It's good to see you, too. All right. Well, I just want to jump into your latest record that you released. Um, Little Oblivions has been walking with me. There was this uh, this lyric from your song Faith Healer, where you said, "Faith Healer, come put your hands on me. A snake oil dealer, I'll believe if you make me feel something." And that led me to wonder, what was your internal dialogue, you know, leading up to the writing of this record? Where were you at with yourself? I had written that song. It was one of the earlier songs I wrote for the record, and I'd written it like years ago. And I returned to it because I wrote it when I was still like, I had been sober for a long time. I was really vehemently straight edge. I changed those things about my life a couple of years later and went through a lot of the fallout that comes with that. Mm. That comes with the dismantling of any belief system, you know. When I was writing Faith Healer, I was, like, really disillusioned because it started to become apparent to me that I thought the fixations and obsessions and my little idiosyncrasies were more sophisticated than all the other means of self-delusion that I saw other people around me using. And it was really easy for me to be judgmental about those things. And it just like, it became apparent to me that no matter what I was doing, I was always like substituting a new addiction or fixation into the hole where I needed somebody to stimulate me and make me feel loved or desired or secure or not afraid. Yeah, or anything. Yeah, it's connected. Sorry if that got immediately, like, really. <laughs> no, that's what we do on call and response. We just get straight awesome. to it, like, why are you the way you are? <laughs> and how does that <laughs> manifest in your art? <laughs> Why are you the way yeah, you are? Michael Scott oh, quote. Let me tell you, idea. <laughs> yes. 
No, I, you know, I loved doing research for this conversation with you because we have so many similarities in our background, like growing up in the South, um, growing up in the evangelical church and those belief systems. And, you know, I was reading this interview that you did recently where you're talking about when that belief system was taken away from you, it unraveled like your entire relationship with the world, you know? Yeah. And how do you start from scratch with what do I believe and and why do I believe what I believe? I was fortunate enough to be able to afford to go to a ton of therapy about it. The entire paradigm of my life evaporated and I like didn't know, I didn't want to think about it anymore. I was like, is this right? Is this wrong? Is anybody watching? Does anybody care? Does it matter? But like for you and I, maybe not this extreme, but for me at least it's like before I could speak English, like my parents and grandparents were reading me devotionals, right? Because that's like what you do when you have a baby in the American South. You just like stick them in Sunday school. So it's like literally from birth, this is like woven into the fabric of how I understand reality and then it gets like sucked out like a Truman show yes climax at the yes. end and like trying to describe to somebody how much that will mess you up and throw off your brain is really difficult yes I feel that as you know um I call myself a um, a Christian school survivor because I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church and my school for the first um 11 years of my life was attached to the church. So there was no breaking away from God. And I remember as a child thinking, you know, they they told you the way that the the world was made. They they gave you the answer for that. And then they gave you the answer for eternity and how how to enjoy an eternal life with your loved ones in heaven. And what I felt stripped away from me was the ability to ask any questions, right? With the doctrine that was introduced to me early on, I think kind of in a similar way of like, you don't get to ask questions and you're a righteous exile in a sinful world. That's a recipe for not paying attention to your body, being completely divorced from sex and death and pain and emotions. And like, that's like a pipeline to repression. Mm -hmm. When you grow up in a world believing that if you don't watch yourself all the time, you're going to turn evil. Mm -hmm. It's such a damaging belief to have, not only because of the way that it makes you see yourself, but also like the way it teaches you to expect things from others. That's right. And I think about, you know, a lot of your writing, like you're talking about drinking and and, and doing drugs and substances. And I've, I've gone through that. And I thought about like a lot of the kids that I went to private school with, you know, when they went to high school, they would go and like abuse drugs and like take Tylenol PM and like fall asleep and little <laughs> little oblivions, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to me, the mythologies that kids start telling about themselves are like the tip of the iceberg of the reality that they're not allowed to understand. Come on, come on. And so then they're not encouraged to just sit with hard feelings or talk right. to about the fact that anxiety is real or like no one ever explains um, right. conflict and it's just something that happens in their world that they have to live through and then choose to cosplay a different kind of messed up. Because I felt like 
the adults and the authority figures around me, like they they were all part of this conspiracy of silence of we don't go past the surface, especially in the South. Like you do not. We have good manners down here because we don't want to rub each other raw with the truth. When I was writing a Southern Gothic, a lot of my time was spent um, uh, investigating and and encountering a lot of the messages and the morality and the values that I had, I had, you know, Mm -hmm. been brought up in within the church. And kind of like you said, like I've acknowledged this, what it did to me. So what do I do with this now? Like, Mm -hmm. where do I put this? Listening to Little Oblivions was a very similar experience to what I was, what I was digging at Mm -hmm. on a Southern Gothic. Do you feel like after you've written, you know, the album and and it's released into the world, like, does that feel like a confession to you? Does that feel like accountability? Like, where, where are you in that, in that relationship with your listener? In all things, think of others as higher than yourself. That's a value that I learned from very early on. And so when I release something like this into the world, what I feel like I owe at the very least to myself and the people around me is to try to be honest about the stories that I tell, which isn't always easy. Like everybody's working with their own prism that they have their experiences refracted through. So so it's hard to try to like, yeah. I don't even know if that's like a reasonable aspiration to try to be honest, if that's just kind of like a slippery notion, but. I see that as the definition of grace, Julian. That, mm. that to me is seeing people where they're at and most importantly, seeing yourself where you're at. And we're all looking for, you know, God is dead, but we're looking for God. And, and I, I think that the true grace comes when you stop looking for someone to, you know, check off on your life. And that's what art for me as a listener, it's always done. It's, it's given me space to feel there's a question I love to ask everybody on my show uh, before okay. I let you go. Okay. Is there a song right now? What song is um, bringing you light in life? I've been listening to this album so much this year. It might be my uh, most listened to record. It's called Head of Roses by Flock of Dimes. And there's this lyric um, on a song called One More Hour that's like, so what is beauty in a world like this? when nothing is simple and everything is. And I want to scream. So what is beauty in a world like this? When nothing is simple and everything is. Julian, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Adia. Thank you for having me. Y'all, that was Julian Baker. Her latest album is Little Oblivions. So my prescription for y'all this week, Jesus, I'm thinking about love. I'm thinking specifically about God's love and how kids like Julian and I were taught that we had to shrink ourselves to be worthy of that love and how hard it can be to build a belief system apart from that, all those rules and rigidness and one that is kinder to ourselves and to others. My challenge for y'all this week is, who were you taught to love? Who were you taught that you could identify with? What were you taught that you could identify with? What are the boundaries of your love? 
And I'm not just talking person to person. I'm talking about your environment. I'm talking about inanimate objects. How can you feel a sensuality for nature, feel sensuality for, you know, strangers in the street? How can we expand our love? So I want you guys to sit um, and really interrogate how big is your love? And this has been Call and Response from Sonos. Thank y'all so much for joining us this week. You can listen on Sonos Radio or find us at mixcloud.com Sonos. Y'all let me know what music is meeting you in this moment. This conversation with Julian, it really spoke to the ways that music can catch you when you are falling out of touch with, with meaning and Y'all can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Sonos Radio. I'm at Adia Victoria across all social media, and I am all ears. The show was produced by Work by Work, Scott Newman, Jimmy Rose Brown, Anne Maria Wad, Daniel Razel, and by me, Adia Victoria. The show is mixed by Sam Bear. So until next time, y'all, keep your heart and your ears wide open. Y'all be good. <laughs>